Open your Bibles, Malachi chapter 3, if you would. We, uh, we're going to continue in our study through the book of Malachi, and we're actually going to finish the book of Malachi today. So Malachi chapter 3 is where we're headed. And if you were with us when we started the book of Malachi, when uh, we began this series, I introduced the book to you uh, by talking about the three little pigs. You may or may not remember that. Maybe or maybe you weren't here. Basically, it's a good picture. You know, the three little pigs, uh, you know the story from, from your, your childhood, no doubt. One little pig built his house out of straw. One built his house out of sticks. The other built his house out of bricks. Uh, there's fairly a few versions of the story. The one that I remember was uh, the Disney version. Uh, great little animated cartoon there, and, and basically the way they tell the story, the, the pigs that built their houses out of straw and out of sticks, well, they were lazy little pigs, uh, and uh, they just sort of were half-hearted about it because they weren't excited about the task of building their house, uh, they wanted to play around. And so the problem was the big bad wolf shows up, he huffs, he puffs, he blew their house in, and uh, even though they said, not by the hair of my chinny chin chin, well, he did, and uh, then, you know, the one who built his house out of bricks, uh, his house withstood uh, the assault. The moral of the story is, basically, if you build your house half-heartedly, when the wolf attacks, you're cooked, you're done. And uh, Malachi is God's message to Israel that they're building their spiritual house half-heartedly. And he's calling them to wake up and repent. Uh, he's basically telling them, look, you've got a form of religion, but you don't have a relationship with me. And the, the whole idea of the book of Malachi is God crying out to his people, saying, come back to me, return to me, straighten your act out, uh, and you need to understand that there is a hereafter, and uh, where are you going to be hereafter is the big question mark. And so Malachi is just a big God crying out to his children, come home, I love you kind of deal. Last week, we saw how this compromise of, of God's people impaired their worship, and today, uh, we're going to see how compromise impacted their words, how compromise impacted their words. Malachi chapter 3, we'll pick it up in verse 13, where we read, your words, God says, have been harsh against me, says the Lord, and yet you say, what have we spoken against you? Well, you have said it is useless to serve God. What profit is it that we have kept his ordinance and that we've walked as mourners before the Lord of hosts? So now we call the proud blessed for those who do wickedness are raised up. They even tempt God and they go free. Go free. God says, hey, your, your words have been harsh against me. That word harsh, it, it, it means uh, to grow rigid or hard. And, and really what we discover as we look at this is that, well, their words are hard because their hearts are hard. Uh, Jesus said that what you say comes from what is in your heart. Speaking in Luke's gospel, he said, a good person produces good things from the treasury of a good heart, and an evil person produces evil things from the treasury of an evil heart. What you say flows from what is in your heart. And so what the people were saying here in Malachi's day and what was in their hearts that was coming out by their words, they're saying, hey, serving the Lord, it's unprofitable. 
We just don't see the prophet in it. Now, you know, you, this is coming off the heels of, of God already calling them on the carpet saying, look, you know, put your money where your mouth is. And, and you know, if, if you're going to, you know, if you're going to serve me, if you're going to follow me, you know, you need to be faithful in your giving. Well, you're not being faithful in your giving and your words are harsh. They've already demonstrated with their wallets that their hearts are far from him. They're grumbling, they're complaining, and here they are, they're, they're, they're saying, you know what, we don't see the prophet in it. We don't see the prophet in following you, God. We don't see the prophet in, in obeying you. We don't see the prophet in honoring you. And, uh, and so here they are, grumbling and complaining, hey, what's in it for me kind of attitude. Warren Wiersbe, he's a pastor, he's the author of over 150 books, and uh, he said, I hear this complaint from some believers about their churches, they, they basically say, look, we're not getting anything out of it. Where's the profit for us? But the church isn't Burger King, right? And, and, and it's not a place that revolves around you. It's not a place that revolves around me. It's not a place where we can have it our way, right? Warren Wisby says this. He says, the church is like a bank or a home. You don't get anything out of it unless you put something into it. We serve God because it's the right thing to do, not because we're rewarded for our service. And then he adds this. He says, we shall be rewarded, but that's not our main motive. Well, here, the deal in Malachi, it was their main motive. They basically were, hey, look, what's in it for me? Again, they demonstrated this with their wallets. So now they're speaking out of the overflow of their heart. They're saying, hey, there's no profit in serving God. And so as to remove all doubt about what they truly regarded as profit, because they've, they've made it clear, we don't see God and we don't see God's ways as being profitable. Well, here's what we do see as profitable. They call the proud, the wicked, and those who tempt God, they call them blessed. Here's the deal. It begs the question, what do I regard as profit? I'd have you maybe write that down, take a walk with that this week. What do you regard as profit, what do you regard as profitable? I had a conversation with a friend recently, and uh, you know, I was exhorting him, uh, rebuking him, um, and you know, basically, what I told him was. And by the way, the Bible says it's an enemy that multiplies kisses, but faithful are the wounds of a friend. And what that means is that a good friend will tell you what you need to hear, not what you want to hear. Um, and so, you know, I'm, I'm meeting with my friend. And I basically said, look, you're all about God when he's blessing you. But when God isn't blessing you, when he's having you go through seasons and trials uh, of, of, of hardship, you buckle, you want to tap out. Your, your, your whole world gets rocked during those times. And you, you talk about how good God is when he's blessing you, but how about when he's allowing you to go through the dark times? Man, this is when you're tapping out. You need to stop doing that. You need to understand that God loves you and his ways aren't our ways. And sometimes he does his most profound work in, in the dark, dingy trials of life that we go through. And you need to learn to praise God in, in whatever season it is that you're in. But what happens is, and, and my friend's not alone, we, we all go through different times of struggle, a trial, where we see someone else 
<clears throat> we, we see them engaging in behavior that the Bible expressly speaks against, and they seem to be being blessed in their experience, and, and we can be deceived and walk away with the same attitude that the Jews had during this time, which basically was, look, I don't see the point. God speaks against these things, but these guys do these things. They get away with it. I want to do those things too. And, and so we, we start, you know, sort of compromising with regards to what's right and what's wrong. The prophet Isaiah, he said, Woe to those who call evil good and good evil, who put darkness for light and light for darkness, who put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. And, and we can do that. We can start to compromise and see things differently than what God says in his word. Now, we see a similar attitude displayed by Judas in Mark's gospel. Turn to, to Mark chapter 14. We're going to spend a little bit of time here. <clears throat> Mark chapter 14. We'll pick it up in verse 1. Mark chapter 14, verse 1. Where we read, After two days, it was the Passover and the Feast of Unleavened Bread... And the chief priests and the scribes sought how they might take him, Jesus, by trickery and put him to death. But they said, not during the feast, lest there be an uproar of the people. Verse 3, and being in Bethany at the house of Simon the leper, as he sat at the table, a woman came, having an alabaster flask of very costly oil, of spikenard, and then she broke the flask and she poured it on <clears throat> his head. Now... They're in Bethany. Bethany lies east of Jerusalem near the Mount of Olives. Um, this is the town where Lazarus and uh, Mary and Martha all lived. And uh, John's gospel tells us that the woman here in verse 3 who broke this costly jar of alabaster, you know, alabaster jar of, of spikenard, that, that she was in fact Mary, Lazarus' sister. <clears throat> They're all there at Simon the leper's house, and, uh, and just, you know, it's quite a fraternity when you think about it. Here you've got Simon the leper who was healed miraculously by the Lord. You've got Lazarus who was raised from the dead by the Lord Jesus. You have Martha, a woman whose uh, life was completely transformed by Jesus. And then you've got Mary. Here is a gal, by all accounts, she just is you know, in love with the Lord and following the Lord and serving the Lord. Uh, and, I, and I think about, you know, our, our church. A church ought to look like this, by the way. And I think about our church and I, and I celebrate the fact that I really do. I see this. I see it in our church. I see people that, that God has, has just completely transformed their life. I, I know people that God has touched and that he has healed miraculously in our church. I know men and women who have struggled with drugs and alcohol that have, that have just had um, complete life transformation uh, in, in our church, and we've seen God do this. this it, we, we see, you know, a gal like Martha, again, God just transforming, doing a neat work in her life. We see Mary. Now, Mary's a gal. We always see her. She's following the Lord. She's serving the Lord. Some people in our church, they, they, you have a boring testimony. You know, someone has a really exciting testimony where it's like, you know, I was into drugs and alcohol and this and that, and it's just this horrible, bleak, black, black, this horrible thing, and then God saved me from all this, and then there are others, it's like, well, I, 
I don't know, I pretty much walked with the Lord my whole life. And I was raised in a Christian home. I can't remember a time I didn't love Jesus. Uh, uh, and and I just and my testimony's kind of boring, quite frankly. It, boring testimonies are awesome. That's fantastic, you know. Would be to God that we could all have that kind of experience. Some of us didn't have that kind of experience. We wish we did. But, but here I see in Simon the leper's house, we have a gathering of, of, of saints, a fellowship of believers that represent just the neat work that God does, and, and, and I'm celebrating, praising God. Here in our church, he's, he's doing that, that same thing, where we've got people from all walks of life, from all different experiences, they're all gathered together and just loving the Lord, serving the Lord, and, uh, and, and I love that. And in the middle of it all, Mary comes in to anoint Jesus. Now, in Jesus' day, they didn't have a Wells Fargo bank down at the corner that you could save your money. Uh, they had different ways that they would make investments with their money. One of the things that they would do is they would invest in these costly commodities, which would hold retain their value. One of the things that they would do is they would invest in perfume. Um, and one of the most valuable uh, the sense that you could, you could invest in was this spikenard that was stored in an alabaster jar. As a matter of fact, Pliny the Elder uh, in his writings remarked that the best scent is preserved in alabaster. And, and so what we, what we see here and what, what's represented, well, you, you see this, this scent, that this spice, it's, it's identified as spikenard. And, and some commentators suggest that what, what this is, is in fact a family heirloom. That it, that it would be uh, really Mary's dowry passed down from her, from her mom. And, and if that's the case, then what we see here in this loving act of worship on Mary's part is that she's not just taking what we'll find out later in the story is, is worth a year's wages. She's not just taking a year's wages to lavish out, to pour out on Jesus. She's pouring out all of her hopes and all of her dreams and all of her future on Jesus. And this is a profound act of worship on her part. Now, again, the custom was just one or two drops when you would anoint somebody with oil. Mary, she pours out the whole jar on the Lord. She's lavishing, she's loving him. Now, the real story isn't her sacrifice in and of itself. It's not just about the sacrifice that she made. It's, it's about what, what prepared her to make that sacrifice. If you'll recall, and I won't have you turn there, but in Luke chapter 10, we see an interesting exchange happening between Martha and Mary. And this is this, this famous thing, deal where, where Martha's going to Jesus and she's capping on Mary. She's complaining about Mary because, you know, Martha's saying, look, I'm doing all the work and, and she's just sitting at your feet. Well, I wish I could sit at your feet and just, you know, do all that, but there's work to do kind of thing. And, and what does the Lord say in this exchange? He basically tells Martha, look, you're worried about all kinds of different things, but really only one thing is needed. Mary's chosen the better part. Now, what it seems to indicate, because, you know, the, the, the Bible also says if a man doesn't work, he shouldn't eat. So there's, there's work to be done. It's not like, you know, I can just ch- chuck all my respos and say, hey, I, I'm just going to worship the Lord and that's cool. 
I mean, there is a time to work and a time not to work. And, and the, the story there in, in, Luke, in Luke 10 with Mary and Martha kind of seems to suggest that what Martha was guilty of was that she, in the midst of all of her work, in the midst of doing everything that she was doing, somewhere along the line she'd lost Jesus in the process and she's taken on duties and taking on tasks and taking on the, the work of the stuff well, a little too much. Like maybe she's doing stuff now that the Lord hasn't called her to do. And the Lord's saying, look, you know, you're worried about all this stuff. Mary's chosen the better part. And so what, what's happened now is because Mary had this kind of relationship with the Lord, because it, she spent this kind of time with the Lord, well, now she's in a place now to be able to pick up on there at Simon the leper's house when Jesus is talking and he's basically telling everybody, I'm going to the cross and I'm going to, to be, be crucified. And, and, and this, is the, this is what he's trying to convey and it's just going right over everybody's head. Nobody's picking up on it. Who picks up on it? Mary picks up on it because she has been listening attentively to the Lord and now she can be in the place where when everybody else misses it, she picks up on the fact that he's sacrificing for me. I'm going to sacrifice for him. But, verse 4, Mark chapter 14, verse 4, there were some who were indignant among themselves and they said, why was this fragrant oil wasted, for it might have been sold for more than 300 denarii given to the poor, and they criticized her sharply. And what that means when it says they criticized her sharply, it means to strike, to beat, or to cut. And what it means is that her words were, or the words that they spoke against her, they just, they, they beat her up, they cut her down, they were, they were vicious in the things uh, that they would say to her. See, like the people in, in, in Malachi, Judas didn't see the prophet in sacrificially giving to the Lord. Judas didn't see the prophet of sacrificially worshiping to him. He said, it's not a prophet. He says, it's wasted. It's wasted. No doubt Jesus had these very words that Judas has spoken in mind two days later at the Last Supper, after Judas has now left the room and gone to betray the Lord, <clears throat> our Lord is praying to the Father. And listen to what he says to the Father in that prayer two days after this, what we're reading about here in chapter 14. He says, while I was with them, <clears throat> excuse me, in the world, I kept them in your name. Those whom you gave me I have kept, and none of them is lost except the son of perdition, that the scripture might be fulfilled. It's interesting, uh, that, that, that title, son of perdition, it literally means waste, ruin, or destruction. Hey, listen, it was the same word that Judas used to define this woman's actions back in Mark 14. See, Judas looked at Mary's sacrifice and he declared, what a waste of money. And Jesus looked at Judas's self-seeking and he declared, what a wasted life. Now, before we return to Malachi, I want you to notice what Jesus says to Mary in verse 6. But Jesus said, now he's not speaking to Mary initially, he's speaking to Judas and the posse that he had raised up. Jesus said, let her alone. Why do you trouble her? Now, I wonder how Jesus said that because here she's doing this beautiful thing 
And now Judas is going is to say what, what, what he's going to say, which, you know, by the way, just so you know, John's gospel makes it clear to us that, that Judas was the ringleader of this group. Judas was the one that calculated the value. He was the one that suggested it could have been sold and used for the poor. Judas was the one that gathered together a posse to complain. And uh, in John chapter 12, John, uh, John tells, as he tells the story, he adds that, Jesus, that Judas did all of this stuff, not because he cared for the poor, but because he used to steal all the money for himself. Listen to what he says, John 12, verse 6. He said, this he said, not that he cared for the poor, but because he, Judas, was a thief, and he had the money box, and he used to take what was put in it. And so now, when Jesus says, let her alone, I wonder the tone. Jesus knows all this. Jesus knows who Judas is. He sees him coming a mile away. And here he is cutting, ripping, tearing down this woman and he's, and he's drummed up a whole posse to attack this woman for worshiping the Lord, for anointing his body for burial. And Jesus says to, her, says to him, let her alone, back off. Why do you trouble her? She has done a good work for me, for you have the poor with you always, and whenever you wish, you may do them good. And I wonder if maybe that kind of wasn't a little bit of a dig, like, you know, hey, you know what, Judas, you got the poor with you always. Whenever you wish, you can do them good. Uh, and you're not even doing them good now because you're stealing the money for yourself. So, you know, there's a thought. Why don't you do something for the poor? But he says, but me, you do not ha- always have. Verse, verse 8, he says, she has done what she could. She has come beforehand to anoint my body for burial. By the way, I, we could just, I can just do a, a, a whole message on verse 8. We could take a really long walk with that. And I'll just cut to the chase and just say, this is, and it's not in my notes to say this, but, but how about this? How about you do what you could? What can you do to worship the Lord? What, what is it that you can do? Have you done all you can do? Have you done what you could? He says, she's done what she could. She's come to anoint my body for burial. Verse nine, assuredly I say to you, this is what I want you to hear. Assuredly I say to you, wherever this gospel is preached, in the whole world, what this woman has done will also be told as a memorial to her. Hey, listen, what she did was so beautiful. I don't ever want this story forgotten. This this thing's gonna be written down. We're gonna remember this. We're remembering it here this morning, what Mary did in worship of the Lord. Holding that thought, turn back to Malachi chapter 3. Take a look at verse 16 and 17, where we read, Then those who feared the Lord spoke to one another, and the Lord listened and heard them, So a book of remembrance was written before him for those that fear the Lord and who meditate on his name. They shall be mine, says the Lord of hosts, on the day that I make them my jewels as a man spares his own son who serves him. He says, then those who feared the Lord. See, just as in the story of Judas with Mary, you know, 
there were those in Judas' day who, who loved Jesus and who served Jesus, even though Judas himself wasn't. And evidently here in Malachi, same thing. There were those that were speaking harshly about the Lord, saying hard things. But there were others that were fearing of the Lord. And they spoke with one another. Just a beautiful picture of how precious that is to God. Those who feared the Lord spoke to one another. Think about that. The Bible says in Ephesians chapter 5, Do not be drunk with wine in which is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit. Listen, here's, as we're filled with the Spirit, led of the Spirit, what happens? What's the first thing? Well, it says, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord. Again, in, in the book of Philippians, we read, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if there's anything excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. That word think there, it's a mathematical term. It literally means to, to, to recon or to count or to calculate. Think about this. Judas, he counted the value of the scent, but Mary counted the value of the one who was sent. And then we read here, the, the Lord listened. There as they were talking, the Lord listened. It's, that word listened, it's an interesting thing. I'll describe it with a, with a word picture. I've got, a, I've got a, a, a dog. His name's Bentley, a little Cavalier King Charles. And uh, he's, he's the coolest dog. He was sick last week. We were a little worried about him, but he's getting better. But uh, Bentley, if you ask him, hey, Bentley, you want a snacky? He loses his mind. He just goes completely crazy. And I'll mess with him every once in a while. I'll go, hey, Bentley, you want to, and I'll stop. And when I say, all I got to do is go, you want to, his eyes get like as big as plates. His ears go straight up and he'll kind of cock his head. He's just waiting to hear, right? That's a, a picture of this word listened. The Lord listened. His ears perk up. That's the idea, right? And, and, and then it says, not only did he listen, he heard them. And, and this, this word heard, it, it, the, the picture is that he leans into here. Again, an, an illustration for, for Brenda and I, we have three kids growing up. Uh, you know, Megan was oblivious. She didn't care. She didn't want to care. Scotty, he's busy playing. He didn't care. He didn't want to care. But for Caitlin, when Brenda and I would have those conversations, you know, that you have as husband and wife, you talk about some serious things sometimes. And uh, Caitlin... She listened. She would get really quiet, and we would notice that, you know, she would be in the room, miraculously, where we were, and there she is, you know, she's, she's leaning in to hear what we're going to say. Now, she would be inconspicuous trying to do what she was doing, but she didn't care about what she was doing. All she wanted to do was lean in and hear. This is the picture of the Lord. He listened. His ears perked up. And, 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 he, and he leaned in, he wanted to hear. And the idea here is that when those that love him are, 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 are talking and they're speaking to one another, you know, just as, as we read in Ephesians, in Psalms and hymns, spiritual songs, singing, making melody in your heart to the Lord, it's beautiful to him. It's so much so that, that he, he writes this book of remembrance. He's, he's like, look, I, I, I want to, I want this written down, man. I want to memorialize this. This is so important. 
years ago, there was a, a, a beer commercial. And uh, they can be pretty funny. And this one beer commercial, you see there's this gal, and, and she's looking for the perfect anniversary card for her husband. And, and you see her scouring in the card line, just in the card section of the store, going, you know, one card after another. She's just looking to find the perfect card. And after uh, uh, spending a considerable amount of time, she finds the perfect card for him. And then the scene shifts to the guy in his own store experience, and he's scouring the beer aisle. And the same diligence that she put into finding this perfect card, he's putting in to find the perfect beer. Just lamenting and laboring over which, what is the perfect beer. And then he finds the perfect beer, which is, of course, the product that they're selling. And he brings this to the, to the checkout line, and he sets it on the, the, the pad there, or whatever, you know, the conveyor belt. And then he notices at the checkout line that there's, oh, there's cards there at the checkout line. And so he picks one up. He's like, yeah, all right. Throws it down. That's his attitude. Now, the last scene, he's there enjoying his beer, and the, the gal opens up the card that, that he's gotten for her, and she looks at this, and she, she holds it into her heart. She just treasures it because she imagines that he put in all of the thought and all of the effort that she put in and he reading her card. He was kind of like me with my birthday cards when I was a kid. You know, I'd open them, toss them aside if there's nothing in it, you know, kind of deal. And, and so, you know, he kind of treated her card like that. But she, oh, this is precious because she thought, oh, he put in all of this effort. Well, this is the thing. This book of remembrance God actually does treasure the things that we say when, when, you know, those who fear the Lord speak to one another. By the way, I, it just a question that this morning as I was considering this, and, and I really, it just the Holy Spirit speaking to my heart, and, and a point of application for us to take a walk with. But, you know, how, how often is it that, that I'm, that I'm, in fear of the Lord, in loving reverence of the Lord, in following Him and serving Him, how often are my conversations with my brothers and sisters in Christ, those conversations of, isn't God good? Isn't He great? Just, you know, psalms, hymns, spiritual songs, singing, making melody in my heart to the Lord. Those kind of conversations that He is going to treasure, that He does want to write in the book of remembrance, or... How, how often are those conversations that I should be having conversations of gossiping or murmuring or backbiting or complaining? And God says, man, those that feared the Lord, they spoke to one another, and I wrote that stuff down. And it goes into a book of remembrance. And it, and it, and it is something, man, it's, it's precious. And just, and just like Mary does this beautiful thing and he says, you know what? We're writing that down. That's going to be remembered. That was precious to me. This is what, what, what the Lord is saying is that when we're filled with the Spirit, when we love the Lord and when we, when we live in a way, just in fearful, fearful reverence of him and obedience to him, man, it's beautiful. He listens, he hears, he leans in to hear that stuff. He's taking note of how we're living our lives and, we're, and he's writing it down. And he says, they shall be mine. I'm going to make them my jewels. Listen, God treasures you. He loves you. You are precious to him. 
And, and, and so much so that the Lord speaks of us in, in the New Testament as a treasure that was hidden in a field. And, and he valued that treasure so much he bought the whole field just, just so, so that, that he could take the treasure out of it. Paul, writing to the Ephesians, he, he prayed that, that God might open up their understanding that they might know what is the exceeding riches of his inheritance in the saints. See, listen, he, he treasures and he values you and me so highly that he sent Jesus Christ, his son, to die on the cross for our sins in our place. You're precious to him. He loves you. He's gone to great lengths to redeem you. And he says there in verse 17, they shall be mine. On the day that I make them my jewels and I will spare them as a man spares his own son who serves him. The psalmist declares, how precious also are your thoughts to me, O God. How great is the sum of them. If I should count them, they would be more in number than the sand. When I awake, I am still with you. Listen, here's what I, you gotta hear this as, as, as we're drawn to a close here in, in the book of Malachi and we're in the home stretch. This is the overriding cry of the book of Malachi. This, this is God treasures you and he values you so highly that he sent his son to die in your place that he might redeem you as his child. That's, that's the, the, the overriding picture here because, you know, he says over and over again, look, the, you're, you're way off. You're, you're going off the road. You're, you're crashing, train wrecking your life, and I don't want it to be that way. And notice what he says next there. He says in verse 18, then you shall again discern between the righteous and the wicked between one who serves God and one who does not serve him. In other words, he's saying, look, you're speaking hard things and you're saying hard things and you're calling good evil and you're calling evil good and you're confused and a day is coming when you're gonna see what the real truth is and you're gonna realize the folly of your ways and when that day comes, then you shall again discern between the righteous and the, and the wicked because I'm gonna discern between the righteous and the wicked. And you're going to see between the one who serves God and the one who does not serve him. And we continue chapter 4, verse 1. He says, For behold, the day is coming, burning like an oven, and all the proud, yes, all who do wickedly, will be stubble, and the day which is coming shall burn them up, says the Lord of hosts, that will leave them neither root nor branch. We're in the home stretch of Malachi. He loves you. He doesn't want you to go down the path that you're going. And he says to these people, you're being disobedient. You're being hard-hearted. You're being stubborn. And you don't see the prophet in worshiping me now, but you're going to. And the question, the central thought that these men and women are struggling with it all revolves around this idea of, man, what profit is it to serve the Lord? I don't know if there's a profit in it or not. Look, here's the answer. The answer to that question of, of what profit is to serve the Lord, well, the answer is the difference between life and death and heaven and hell. 
That's the answer. Because if you, if you come to the conclusion that, you know, there is no profit in serving the Lord and you, and you define for yourself what is profit, listen, that, 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 is a, that is a bad day. See, because here's what he, here's what he says in verse, in verse 1 of chapter 4. He says, the day is coming. What day is he talking about? He's talking about the day of the Lord. The day of the Lord is the last day. This is the day of judgment. And God says, look, that day is coming. The Bible says it's appointed unto man once to die and then to face judgment. And, and on the last day, there is a judgment. There is a reckoning. And the day of the Lord, if you are a believer, it is, it is the best day for the believer, the day of the Lord. Listen, if you're an unbeliever, it's the worst day. It is absolutely flat out the worst day. And, and here's what I want you to hear. If you're here and you are not a believer in Jesus Christ, if you've not surrendered your life to the Lordship of Jesus Christ, you need to know that you're going to hell. You say, gosh, that's, that's pretty harsh. That's, that's, that's not very loving to say. Well, listen, it's actually a very loving thing to say because the good news is that Malachi is all about God saying, I don't want you to go there. And you don't have to go there. But listen, if you reject, God has made a way. People say, oh, how can a loving God send people to hell? He doesn't. He sent his son to keep you from hell. He sent his only son to die on the cross for your sins in your place. If you choose to reject Jesus Christ, you choose to go to hell over his dead body. That's the choice you're making. God doesn't make you go to hell. He says, I'm giving my son so that you can go to heaven. Choose life. He says, I set before you today life and death, blessings and cursings. Choose life. You can make a choice today to receive Christ as your Lord and Savior. And I would say this, and I told you in the beginning, I'm going to give you an invitation. There are some of you here today, you don't know for sure if today you were to die, whether or not you're going to go to heaven or whether you're going to go to hell. And you can make sure by receiving Christ as your Lord and Savior. And I'm going to give you that opportunity because the day of the Lord is coming. Proverbs 23, verse 17 and 18 tells us, do not let your heart envy sinners but be zealous for the fear of the Lord all the day, for surely there is a hereafter, and your hope will not be cut off. Again, Hebrews 4.13 tells us, there's no creature hidden from his sight, but all things are naked and open to the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. You're going to give an account for your life. That day will come. Listen, here's what God says, and these are the last verses of the Old Testament. He says, for behold, the day is coming, burning like an oven. Here's the deal. It's not an indiscriminate fire. It's not a wildfire raging out of control. It is burning like an oven. It is a very controlled burn. And in that controlled burn, all the proud, yes, all who do wickedly, will be stubble. And the day which is coming shall burn them up, says the Lord of hosts. And that will leave them neither root nor branch. There is, there is, it, is, it is going to consume it all. 
But to you who fear my name, the Son of Righteousness will arise with healing in his wings, and you shall go out and grow fat like stall-fed calves. You're like, great, you're going to get fat, you know? Gee whiz. Listen, the picture here in this day and age, for you to, to have enough of anything to get fat was unheard of. There, there wasn't that much to go around, but, but basically the picture is, I'm going to open that door, and man, when those calves would go out and they would see that whole field, they would leap and jump, and, and this is, the picture is that, hey, the Bible says, in him is fullness of joy. And so, so he says, you, you, you're going <clears> to <throat> go out and grow fat like stall-fed calves, you're going to have an abundance in the Lord. You shall, verse 3, trample the wicked, for they shall be ashes under the soles of your feet. On the day that I do this, says the Lord of hosts, remember, he says, the law of Moses, my servant, <clears throat> which I commanded him in Horeb for all Israel, with the statutes and judgments. Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the Lord and dreadful day, the coming, uh, I'm sorry, before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. And he will turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the hearts of the children to their fathers. Listen, last sentence of the Old Testament. Lest I come and strike the earth with a curse. Very last word of the Old Testament is a curse. But listen, he says, lest... I come and strike the earth with a curse. That, that, that word lest, it's a word of grace to us. Listen, here's why. We read in Galatians 3.13, and I don't think I put this on the screen for you, but listen to what the Lord says in Galatians 3.13. It says, Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law, being made a curse for us, for it is written, cursed is everyone that hangs on a tree. Listen, The entire message of Malachi is that you have a people and a generation that is driving off a cliff and God is saying, please don't do that. I'm going to move heaven and earth and I'm going to send my Messiah to you and I'm sending messengers to you. That's what Malachi means. It means my messenger. And he speaks of the messengers that he's sending. John the Baptist as a messenger and the ultimate messenger, Jesus Christ. And God is saying, don't die in sin and go to hell. But receive the propitiation for your sins that I've provided for you in Jesus Christ. I'm sending you messengers. Now, I've said this before, God, you know, when you want to get a hold of somebody, you send them a text, you send them an email, you're calling their phone, you're calling their friends. You're instant messaging them, hello. You're trying to get a message to them. God sent you message after message after message. And he's sending you a message today. He loves you. And he doesn't want you to die in your sin. And so here's what we're gonna do. We're gonna close in prayer. We're gonna partake of communion, just as, as we always do. And, and I, I, I'm gonna do a couple of things. One, as we're praying, I'm gonna give you an invitation to, to, to settle matters with God. Maybe you're here and you, you, you don't know if you were to die today whether you're going to go to heaven or whether you're going to go to hell. I would say to you, make a choice to receive Christ as your Lord and Savior. I'm going to give you that opportunity. 
Some of you here today, you, you maybe once professed faith in Christ, maybe you, you've gotten off track. And again, it's uncertain for you. I would say, be certain today. Surrender your life to the Lordship of Christ. Some of us, many of us here today, we're believers. I've I, I received Christ as my Lord and Savior. I would say, listen, there's a book of remembrance that the Lord is writing down. And we need to be those believers and those followers of Him that are all about praising Him and glorifying Him and speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. And many of us, man, that has not been the, tip of, the, the thing that typifies us. And, and it's an opportunity for us to repent. And so here as we close Malachi, I want you to hear the message of Malachi. God loves you. He's made a way for you to know him and to be saved.